Hello again, everyone. It's me, The Vern, and I know you're thinking, hey, didn't I just hear from you, like, yesterday? And yes, yes, you did. But since I'm going to be away next week and there's not going to be new episodes posting, I wanted to give you an extra treat for Friday. So I brought back on with me Donnie Roberts from Videorama Pod. And Donnie's part of our $10 tier on our Patreon page. Again, that's patreon.com slash pod. And Donnie, for being a $10 Patreon, he gets to choose to host an episode on any topic he wants. And today, he has chosen Silver Bullets, so I'm not going to double on any more. Uh, let's start off by playing some ad spots from some amazing podcast shows. And then we'll get going with this awesome episode. All right. Uh, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Hey, podcast lover. Have you checked out the great pop culture debate? If not, you're missing out on episodes ranging from best one-hit wonder of the 70s and 80s, best sitcom theme song, best breakfast cereal, and best clue movie quote, among many others. If you like movies, music, TV, and games, if you live for friends playfully dragging each other to make a point, and if you want a podcast where you get a say, check us out on your podcast platform of choice or head to greatpopculturedebate.com for episodes, polls, and more. And remember, everyone is entitled to their wrong opinion. It's time to feel the rage. Join us on Film Rage, where we talk movies, current releases, coming attractions, streaming, and classic films as well. Directors and actors, beware as you cannot hide from the rage. My name is Bryce, and I'm part of the Film Rage crew, which also includes Jim. Hey, hey. And Murray. Yo. Why is it that you always talk all the time? I can't understand I why. This, this, voice voice this is the Merman, the voice of reason. These two can't awesome. agree on anything most of the time. Some movies are Mondo. Some are just... Every week, something is going to make us rage. Join us every Wednesday and feel the rage. Hey, I've been, uh, I listened to your Frankenhooker episode of Videorama Pod. Oh, yeah. And, um, Videodrome. <laughs> that, was, that was good. I like that. I I still love that movie so, 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 so much. <laughs> wh- wh- which one, Videodrome or Frankenhooker? A Videodrome I really love. I've yes. been a fan of that forever, but uh, Frankenhooker is one of those that me and my sister rented way too young, and oh. our video store clerks did not care. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a short story on that. We This video store is the same one that when I was, I want to say, 10 or 11, the woman at the counter recommended to me to watch uh, I Spit on Your Grave. Really? She knew I loved horror, and at the time I didn't know that was the name of the movie. I just know she said it's a really cool movie because this girl whacks a guy's wiener off, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds cool." <laughs> I was like, "I don't know, that sounds a little extreme." I'm like, "This woman was gonna have me watch that damn movie." <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. I'm like, yeah, that that's a little, little much. Just, just a little. Just a tad, okay. <laughs> well, fuck. All right. Well, let's get into this. All right. Yeah, I absolutely. Got, I got... This podcast may contain adult language, adult situations, and some movie spoilers. So, listener discretion is advised. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this. Cool. Jack Burton, me. You're a bluebird. You're a brownie. You're a Girl Scout cookie. He doesn't know how to use the three seashells. 
love doggy chow. <laughs> I used to love doggy chow too. Want a date? Going out? Looking for some action? Need some company? This is a snakeskin jacket. For me, it's a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. It's not important, okay? You're not important. Get used to it. Baby, you are gonna miss that plane. Welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special bonus episode exclusively for Patreon subscribers. I'm your host, the Vern, and joining me back again for another episode of Donnie's Choice, it's Mr. Donnie from the Videorama Pod. Hello, Donnie. Welcome back to the show, man. Thank you very, very much for having me back. I love doing these. These are a lot of fun. Uh, if you missed it, go back to our previous episodes. They should be available on our main feed. Uh, Donnie has covered uh, Poltergeist 2. And, crap, this means being a bad host here, so now I'm just completely blanking. <laughs> uh, we've done that. We've, uh... the, oh, uh, yeah, we talked about Meet the Feebles. Meet the, yes, he's, yes, talked about Meet the Feebles. Uh, but there actually is another one. Where you actually were back, Prince of Darkness. That was the other one. Yes, yes. John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Um, and I believe that was that one that had your sister on. Yes, it was. I believe it was. Yep. Yeah. All right. That was a first time watch for you and her, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, that's way out. That was a first time watch, and this is also another first time watch for me today because you can tell in our main feed. Uh, we are going to be discussing Stephen King's Silver Bullet, his werewolf tale. Uh, it was from the cycle of the werewolf, this novella yep. that he wrote. Um, screenplay also by Stephen King. I found that to be kind of a cool little factoid. Uh, but really quickly, before I get into like my thoughts about Silver Bullet, so really quickly for like a plot description here, uh, this could be some spoilers. Silver Bullet is about uh, this young boy in a wheelchair played by Corey Haim, and he lives in this small town with his sister and parents. He has this alcoholic-type uncle played by Jerry Busey, and the town gets invaded by werewolves. Whenever the moon is full, it's out there, in the shadows, in the fog, watching and waiting to strike. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense, Stephen King's Silver Bullet, the last glimmering hope. Stephen King's Silver Bullet, from Paramount Pictures, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. But I have to to ask you this, Donnie. When did you foresee this movie? I saw this way back as a kid, and this was... I'm. It's okay to say this now because there's no legal issues with this, but it was back in the days of having a satellite dish that was the size of a NASA satellite dish in your backyard, and everyone was recording all you could watch onto VHS tapes. And that's how we saw this movie the first time, was my parents had a tape that had this recorded on it, and 
my dad was a big fan of Stephen King, so he knew that since I liked horror, I would probably like this because it wasn't too bad. But, yeah, a lot of my memories was a very darkish picture that wasn't exactly ideal of watching this movie. Still is kind of scary as a kid and stuck with me till today and something I even sought out the book of from uh, our school library, which surprised me that it actually carried. Alright, I definitely want to get into the book a little bit to see what the difference is <laughs> between the story, the movie, and the book is. Uh, here's the weird thing for me when I first watched this movie. Yeah. When the movie begins, uh, we get this narration from um, Jane... I thought the name was Coleslaw. Is that is that right? Coleslaw. Coleslaw. I see it's spelled C-O-S-L-A-W, and I pronounce it Coleslaw. I, I say Jane. Coleslaw as well, but it is uh, Coslaw. Coslaw. But yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're getting this narration from this young woman, Jane Coleslaw, who's sort of like reminiscent background of youth, doing the whole stand by me type of narration. And when I'm hearing this narration from this girl... I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be our main protagonist of the show, of the of the story. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the case. Our main protagonist is her brother, uh, Marty, played by Corey Haim, who is in a wheelchair. And most of his... It's, it's like a movie about him and his uncle, which I mentioned was played by uh, Gary Busey. And there's also another story going along to where werewolves are invading this town. But I think it's just one wolf that starts off. Yeah. And well it stays as stays as one werewolf. It does. Uh yeah, yeah. There is I yeah, for a minute there I thought it was like a group of werewolves, like different werewolves attacking people because in the beginning of the movie they mentioned about this one guy who got attacked by a werewolf, but since he died mm. by a railroad track, everyone just thought that he got drunk and passed out yeah. on a railroad track. If that was the case, too, even if he did get drunk and pass out at a railroad track, you think a train might have saw him? Maybe not? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, absolutely. There would have been, like, a buy there for sure. Uh, but that was my first sort of comment, and I was like, oh, wait a here. Why am I hearing this narration of this girl, and she's not even the main narrator? I mean... How can she know about these other things that happen if she's not in the scene? So, like, the scenes um, with Corey talking to his friends or um, him with his uncle alone with his mom. Like, how would she know that if she's not actually there? (laughs) So I found that whole thing to be kind of weird. Um, I do like the fact, too, that we do get into this movie uh, Everett McGill. Now... Listeners, you may recognize actor Everett McGill uh, from the movie The People Under the Stairs. <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> yeah, he, he plays the you know one of the owners of the house uh, with, I think, Wendy McRoby. It's, it's both of those yeah. actors appeared also in Twin Peaks. So I recognized that actor when I saw him. I'm like, hey, I, I know you from Twin Peaks, but I also recognize you from The People Under the Stairs. Uh, and he plays this pastor of this church uh, and then apparently in the middle of the movie here to uh, one of the town residents 
sons gets obliterated by a werewolf. And the town folks want to come out and hunt the werewolves. And uh, you got the uh, deputy sheriff, played by Terry O'Quinn, stepfather Terry O'Quinn, playing the freaking sheriff of this town. And you know what we got here, folks? This is that personalized justice. You're you're creating a lynch mob here. And the father comes in. It's like my boy got obliterated by a werewolf. He got tur- he got torn up to pieces to pieces. The overdramatic nature of this movie, Donnie, is just <laughs> he was torn to pieces. <laughs> the the race of music theater. This movie is, and I oh, do yeah. remember like previews of this movie, and I remember like clips being shown, like a horror show. I'm thinking, damn, this looks like this looks like, this looks like a legitimately scary werewolf yeah. movie. Um, I just, you know, looking back as you know through different eyes and through kids, uh, what moments did you find that really stood out to you as a, as like a kid? Like, go back to your yourself, like repress a little bit. Just go oh, back yeah. to your yourself, Donnie, and just pull up those fears <laughs> you had about this movie. Or did you have any? Honest, honestly, the the things that stuck with me watching this as a kid was mostly um, the Uncle Red. Uh, Gary Busey's character because I have an uncle that very much is like that character who swears by Milwaukee's best as his choice of beer and that that is a choice mm-hmm. but he also just kind of had the whole loves guns has these things he just has amazingly hilarious inappropriate stories to tell people at <laughs> very young ages and also the um I can't remember which werewolf attack it was, but the one that stuck with me the most was the uh, drunk father who was kind of abusive. He was watching wrestling and ends up getting killed in a, uh, I believe it's a greenhouse. Yeah, like a little shed he has. Yeah. 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 It's like as a kid, that kind of scared the crap out of me because it was just everything was kind of played almost like Jaws. It's very dark. You can't really see too much of what's going on. But again, this was off of a VHS that was very dark. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, something that may be kind of sad, and it's stuck with me now that I'm older, is one of my favorite scenes is the exchange between uh, Reverend Lowe and Marty when they're on the bridge. After Marty's been sending him all the letters about telling him to kill himself, that he knows what he is, and you think he's going to kill Marty. It's like, now I love and appreciate that scene because there's a lot going on there. But back at the time, it's like I just completely washed over it because it's like uh dialogue i'm a kid i want action yeah it's sure the, the end of the film is kind of what to me was the big payoff that most people would probably have thought the rest of the movie would have been filled with which was the huge werewolf fight and the realization that oh crap there actually is a werewolf these kids aren't lying to me yeah <laughs> it was just it's a fun little bite yeah I I I followed the whole thing of Gary Busey not believing in the kids until the last like minute when a wolf yeah. was there. It's like, okay, that's a horror cliche. I get it. That's supposed <laughs> to happen. Um, but maybe not have him be their friend a little bit too much. I don't know. It just felt like yeah. off when finally this werewolf. I do like the tension when the one silver bullet got lots in the grate. Oh, and yeah. And character has to try and get it out. But if you're hunting a werewolf, why make just one silver bullet? I mean, right? What if you, you miss? 
I mean, and I mean, did that? I don't see. There was nothing in the movie about you know uh, Jerry Buse's character teaching yeah. Corey Haim's character how to shoot a gun and aim it properly. Oh. That would have been good things to learn and have in the movie because yeah. I think it'd be funny if we like build this tension about him wanting to shoot the werewolf and it misses, and the werewolf yeah. just, the werewolf just obliterates everyone. And that's how the movie ends. <laughs> they were all torn to pieces. <laughs> all torn to <laughs> but the world, but I want to see the the world kind of like slap his face and do a palm slap. Like, oh, geez, yeah. you idiots! And then it's like, well, I got no choice now. And then it just like blurts everybody and yeah, goes back. Honestly, there. I was thinking of uh, the show Family Guy when uh, Stan was trying to protect his family during a storm, and everything he did ended up getting them harmed or almost killed. <laughs> And I was thinking the same as you. Like, what if Marty missed and shot his sister in the arm? Yeah. And the werewolf just looks and shakes his head. Like, what is wrong with you? God, you idiots. I'm, I'm doing you a favor by killing you now. Um, here's but, the weird thing, yeah. too. Now, uh, we mentioned before that we had a, uh, a resident of the town whose son got obliterated. Torn to pieces, he said. Torn to pieces. Now, before that kid gets torn to pieces, there's, like, a weird sort of moment when he's flying a kite and then yeah. we see like a, a zoom in into Corey Haim's character's face and the music is tensed right there and then it sort of cuts to that scene where like a bloody uh, kite is used but the way yeah. they zoomed in on Corey Haim's face in that scene <laughs> makes me think that wait did he know about this because the way that right? it was edited Seems like he knew that something bad was going to happen to his friend. Yeah, it it kind of uh, this is the problem with Stephen King because this was this was back when Stephen King discovered that as much as he loved writing, he loved cocaine a little more. <laughs> so when he would write his books, he would just assume that people knew how amazing his books were because in the book, the murder of that his friend. And the kite, it's it played a huge part in the book. And it's funny at the same time because it was literally, like you said, a novella. It was a very short story, but it had a lot of illustrations inside it, too. Oh, it, oh. And it's like that was one of the biggest illustrations was just the whole fact that this was supposed to be the big turning point for everything going on. Because up until then, no kid had been killed and this kid was just obliterated. <laughs> Yeah. So wait. So it shows like. Did it, does it describe the death yeah. in more gruesome details in the book? Yeah. And in the in the book, that was the main difference between this and the movie. Aside that the book was told more of a kind of diary from Morty instead of his sister. Yeah. Okay. Morty, is that uh, each chapter was basically another month at the full moon cycle? So each chapter was dealing with what was going on with the werewolf then. The, describing the next victim that was attacked and such and then it kind of shifts over to telling you about the reverend and his whole experience and how he became a werewolf and why he was so scared about this and his decision to kind of make righteous kills essentially of all the people sure god yeah oh no it's <laughs> Fuck. That, that's that's kind of I, I, I'm, I'm still kind of lost in the whole part there too that the book is you know told 
from, from you know, Raheem's character's perspective. Yeah. But yeah. the movie switches that. And again, that was a Stephen King decision because for him, it's the reason that she was telling is because just the whole bond of siblings thing and trying to just, uh, it, it was an awkward choice really when you do read the book because Marty's thing, it is kind of neat having it be like a diary type thing of, you know, hey, this happened in the news today. This is what they said mm-hmm. because it still keeps it from a kid's perspective. Yeah. But it is such a weird choice having the sister narrating moments she wasn't even there for, but it's still the whole thing of just, you know, the fighting, but you love your brother, you love your sister, but you do fight each other thing. It was kind of a weird choice, absolutely, but it still, I think, was just there for kind of like, at the end, his stand-by-me moment, which still seems really weird to just have, so yeah, we uh, killed a werewolf and Red crapped his pants, and oh, by the way, I love you, Marty, and then roll credits. (laughs) Dude, the whole movie begins in like sort of like a Steven Spielbergian yeah. Type like, you know, small town, you know, the residents. I'm thinking, oh, this could be kind of like Poltergeist. But yeah, yeah. just done through uh, Stephen King's Tolkien eyes. And I'm yeah. all, all for that, you know. And uh, I like the sort of like, small town aspects. Um, I had no idea that this was a novella, which means it's a short story. Because with all the town folks in here, this could have been, you know, spread out to like a series almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With all the different characters in there, so it definitely could have been um, a bigger book. So, <laughs> oh, excuse me there. Um, yeah, so, uh, for me, I like the shed sequence with the guy, to, like the fact the werewolf kind of pulls him under. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite sequence in this is when um, Everett McGill's character as the pastor, this is after the boys gets obliterated, and... <laughs> He starts seeing all the town folks yes. turn to werewolves. I gotta say, the town people in this are kind of creepy. Yeah. Halfway through this movie here, I'm getting a whole very much, like, I don't know, just this weird town vibe where they need to find a sacrifice. Yeah, it's to almost kind of like the... Uh... It's almost like Dairy Maine and it. It's just like the people seem like they're all hiding something. Yeah. <laughs> like this is not really a town that has it together. <laughs> the, the scene that trying to creep you out the most is when they're all just seen in uh, Amazing Grace. Oh, God, yes. If I wasn't uh, that town, I'd be like, uh, I came here for gas, but uh, I'm good. <laughs> I, I, can, I can wait to I the mean, station. Yeah. It, it's like that and the thing that stuck out to me the uh the sister when she was going around trying to look for one a person with one eye oh yeah and we should, she, like, we should tell that too go, real quickly though before, before we get into that so uh hey. in the movie uh Corey Haim shoots a werewolf in the eye with uh you know i guess a firework yeah and, a bottle bottle rockets and so apparently he's found a way to damage the werewolf so right now the kids are looking for a town folk that has like one eye. So yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Donnie. I'm sorry. Oh, it's it's fine. It's just yeah, it's like he convinces his sister. Look, I'm not cray cray. There's a monster out there, and you got to find him. It's like okay, fine, whatever. So she's collecting bottles, and it's like the weirdest look at this town because you have this very soft, almost kind of uh, mystical music going on, 
But you have this little girl like wandering into a bar with drunks that are just staring at her. Not even like a what are you doing here type thing. They're just literally staring at her like the people in Troll 2. <laughs> it's just like not even looking at them as a person so much as an anomaly. And the thing that always made me laugh still to this day is when she goes into the barber shop and she like starts unpeeling the face mask of the man waiting to be shaved. Who's like, hey, do you have any bottles? And he just says, no. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you can try friendliness or something, but this dude is just like, literally, I will obliterate you. It's just the Tony. Everyone in that town just seems to have like this very sour attitude. Yeah. About the troll. Even the ones that are trying to be someone nice too have this sort of like creepy, underlying yeah. tone to it that. It's hard to describe, and you're right too. The music there—it just seems like okay. I do it. I get the. I get what you're trying to go for, King, because we're trying to find yeah. the guy. And of course, when she actually does find the guy, she doesn't see him right away because the camera is turned away. So when she actually does find the pastor, the Everett McGill character, uh, her back is turned by him, where she watches with her bike past him, and he's like doing something with the garden. And then as a reveal, he's got the one eye, but she doesn't see it. I'm trying to do the whole Hitchcockian thing where there's like a bomb under the table and we see it and the character doesn't. Um, but then she goes to drop off cans and he's got this big shed full of cans. And then she sees him there with the one eye and has escaped. And she's like, you can come to my house and get some of the drink. It's a hot day outside there. I'll get right home. Uh, it's worth it to whenever characters be you know do the whole werewolf thing, most of the time too like they're a little bit afraid of what they've done. Like I'm at, I'm I'm thinking back to American World American World for London. Oh yeah, yeah. You know when uh, David Naughton's character goes from being a human to being a werewolf, it's different things. When he's a human, you know, it's very fragile and kind of scared about what he does. Yeah, um, yeah. The Everett McGill character. He seems to be just wants to like kill anyone that wants to find out he's a werewolf. He's got this very menacing thing about yeah. him. It's just it's different from most werewolf movies I've seen where the lead character doesn't like who they become and they want to kind of keep it a secret. But this guy, he's just a straight villain oh, yeah. when he becomes a werewolf right away. It's weird. Well, yeah, and that's, again, something between the book and the movie is that they they kind of translate it or try to, like, really, really try to in the movie translate that he, when he became a werewolf, he was absolutely terrified about what he was becoming and what he was doing. But when he kind of reasoned it out in his mind, he's like, I'm going to make righteous kills. I'm only going to kill people that have sinned and the world will be better off without them being in it. Oh, and it's just one of those that that's why the scene with him and Marty on the bridge was kind of appreciative as I got older is just because it's him trying to tell him even semi unsympathetically that, look, I've tried to kill myself. I can't. I cannot die. And I'm absolutely, if I need to, going to kill you because I can't have my secret getting out. Because in the book, I believe it mentioned how he had gone from town to town because of being discovered early on. So it's one of those, he's not going to give that up again in this. And even in the movie, I mean, 
there are definitely times he kind of teeters from going, I don't care, I'm going to kill you all, to like the bar scene when the town is getting ready for a pitchfork riot and they're going to go and hunt down the person killing people. And he's like screaming at them, no, don't go out. It's like he knows he's going to change that night. And he was just terrified that he was actually going to kill innocent people that did not deserve it. And that's exactly what happened. And that's why he had the dream of the werewolves in his church and everyone turning into werewolves. And oh. it's like that, that's actually kind of neat. It's a little interesting. But otherwise, yeah, he just did not give zero fucks about what was going on killing wise. I, I, I like that part of the book, too, where, you know, it expresses his, you know, his fear about yeah. this a little bit more about him turning. Because, uh, yeah, I have to say, a lot of this movie is like dumb white people doing dumb shit. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the crowd going out to the... for uh, The scene where they're in the fog and <laughs> the, there's, being, there's being obliterated. I'm like, well, this is your own damn fault. All right? Yeah. Probably should have, like, let it be or had a better track there. I don't know. Then again, if there was a werewolf in my town, I'm like, fuck, I'm not going out there to hunt for it. It's probably going to come here and obliterate me somehow. I, I don't know. I'd find a way to move somewhere. Ah. But. Yeah. Ah, supernatural I mean, stuff. It, yeah, and even this, even with the supernatural stuff, that's still something I kind of, I kind of appreciate the tone they did of trying to keep things... Again, cocaine eyes, Steven, <laughs> trying to keep this whole, like, mysticized for kids. Like, it's bigger than bloodier because it's told or from their remembrance of. But I really loved the um, the weaponsmith that made the bullet and how they're just describing him as an alchemist and trying to make it seem even more so like, ooh, look how beautiful this is and the work he's doing. And it's like, as you get older, you're like, yeah, the guy's just making a bullet. Yeah, like, we, again, a single silver bowl. <laughs> and we don't we don't really see the guy. We just see him yeah. making it. He's just a mystical being. Yeah. Like, where has this guy been this whole time? Has he, has he been waiting for this one moment well, to make a bullet? Got me more. That's what got me even more. Is like they all keep saying they don't know what's killing. It just seems like a wild animal of some kind. And he even jokes with Red. He's like, you know, why do you need a silver bowl? He's like, oh, my nephew, he's a big fan of, you know, the Lone Ranger and is like, yo, what would you kill with it if I did? He's like, I don't know, a werewolf? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, the only thing missing is both of them turning to the camera and just staring for a moment. Just give like a big wink there. Can you believe this, folks? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally see, because uh, I was watching this through a kid's eye, it very much has the whole, like, Stranger Things type of oh, nostalgia, yeah, yeah. 80s vibes. So if you go in this movie blind... Look at it like that. I mean, this is clearly what uh, references Stranger Things. Or Stranger Things was clearly referenced yeah. by this movie and a bunch of other Stephen Keens. I mean, when you watch the show Stranger Things, that's sort of like the idea, the tone they're going through. Like the Stephen King, Stephen Spielberg, that type of area. So yeah. uh, I think uh, if you're over the age of, I would say probably, you know, 13 or 14, you should be okay with this. I'm thinking yeah. it's not super gory. Uh, most of the stuff happens kind of off screen. There's one scene where, you know, a guy gets his face kind of ripped off, but it's oh. not super graphic. So I'm thinking anywhere, you know, beyond the age of like 13 or 14, depends on what other horror films they've seen. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, just kind of take your own caution with that. But it's nothing too graphic. Uh, there's no nudity. There's hardly any language in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was I would still think that I think the movie got R rating, but I think now it would probably be maybe like PG thirteen. I, I I swear, Donnie, there should be like a rating between PG thirteen and R. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, they did for PG and PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, but it just seems like a lot of times now, like R rated movies, movies that are supposed to be R rated, don't seem R rated. Like, for example, is that Birds of Prey, the Harley Quinn movie? Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. R, but that doesn't really need to be R. It's not quite PG thirteen. It's not R. It's like yeah. something like a PG fifteen, something like that. Just. Ah, you, can just, you can rate movies like this C for cocaine or C just C for Stephen <laughs> King, and you'll be you'll be just fine. Because again, one last thing: you ignore the tone of the film because it really doesn't know at times if it's trying to be a comedy or a horror film. Because especially the what you're talking about, the townsfolk going out to kill this thing, and it just turns into this almost slapstickish thing of cutting from one hunter to the next when they're in a field of fog. Yeah, and they're all being killed off one after the other. And I, I was mean, laughing hysterically at that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you're not really supposed to be. It's supposed to be terrifying, well, but it's not. <laughs> one last thing that I thought was really kind of cool is that the movie's called Silver Bullet. And yes. everyone knows that a silver bullet is what's used to kill werewolves. But Silver Bullet is also the, also the name of the wheelchair of Corey Hames' character yes. that his uncle designs oh, for God. him. And later on in this movie, folks... He soups up that wheelchair and makes it into like a motorcycle, where that yes. wheelchair can go like super fast. And I just found that to be really kind of a a cool thing. Um, yeah. Also, kind of like dangerous too, because that shit had become a motor vehicle. And it did. That kid, it can't be no, you know, <laughs> can't be much older than I would say about maybe twelve. No, at all. And he was just driving around going at least 40 or so on the freaking roadside. And even his uncle's like, yo, hey, don't go too fast in that thing. And like, it looks like there's only two gears, which is stop and go. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. And, and at one point, he even pops a wheelie when he's going. Oh, so. yeah, like, dude, no helmet, too? I'm like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different time. <laughs> Very much so. All right. Uh, well, we're going to get into the end of our discussion on Silver Bullets. Uh, if you had to rate this movie for, like, five stars or five cocaine vials or whatnot there, where would you rate this one, Donnie? Oh, God. I You might hate this because I know it seems you're kind of on the fence about loving and hating this film. But for nostalgic purposes, I will say it is three werewolf claws out of five. Because this and Bad Moon and American Werewolf in London are like my top favorite werewolf films. All right. No, there's nothing wrong with that, too. Um, you know what? I'm probably around the same level, too. Cause I, I did enjoy watching this, even though a lot of it is really kind of ridiculous. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it makes me want to go and like find the book and read that. It's very expensive now. <laughs> is it? Shit. Okay. Yes. Fuck, all right, well, maybe I can find it at a library or something like that. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I'm probably going to go, like, just 
I can't say two stars, two, two and a half. It's like barely makes it three, like barely, just about yeah. there. So like three minus a quarter, like two and a quarter. Like yeah, it, so you'll you'll have a time is basically what it comes down to. <laughs> very much so. Oh, but Donnie, before we go here, consider what's happening at the Videorama Pod. Oh, the whole video the whole, the whole video store. There, what's happened over there? Yeah, well, we're still an open video store, that's for sure. We're still looking and taking people's requests, and this month actually we're focusing on what's going to be a more fun topic compared lately to uh, the others we've had, which have still been fun. It's going to be uh, lesser-known killer doll movies. Oh, and this is yeah, and that's something that me and my sister know quite a bit about because we grew up in the era of the full moon entertainment movies like Dolls, Curtains, yeah. Puppet Master, and one of my favorite, favorite, favorite ones that my sister will actually be talking about, uh, Magic with Anthony Hopkins, and that is a very fun little gem if people haven't found it yet. I have so not. We'll be talking about that for next month actually. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan of dolls. Oh, uh, yeah. Stuart Gordon's <laughs> dolls. That, that actually surprised me about how good that actually was. I was expecting something very chompsy and silly, but that had a really good engaging story to it. And I'm like, oh, damn, this this That's, was a objective yeah. video thing to That was surprising. The most. Like, this actually is legitimately good. That's the magic of Stuart Gordon, and people still have to remember, he almost was a hair away from directing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That would have been, been a very interesting movie. <laughs> that would have been amazing. I know we, like, you know, collaborated on the story and screenplay a little bit about that, so shit. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I look forward to those episodes, Donnie. Thank you again for being on the show. Uh Real quickly, because I didn't do this last episode, and I apologize immensely about that. Uh, but I've, I've forgot to give shout-outs to our wonderful Patreon subscribers. So, in no special order, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Jason Soto from Whatever with Jason Soto, part of Rabbit Hole Productions, or podcast, he says. I want to thank Jeanette Miller-Mittenham from ATA Jeanette. I want to thank... Matt and Ashley from Mashley at the Movies. I uh, also want to thank Chris Revel of Let's Chat with Chris Revel. I want to thank Linda Castro from Vidrama Pod, also Ben Knob and Broomflits. And last but not least, our wonderful Donnie here. Uh, Donnie, I don't know if I really got Donnie Castro, is that? No, no, that's no. my sister. Mine no. is Roberts. Roberts. I don't know why I've last your last name before. Okay, all right. <laughs> Donnie Roberts of Vidurama Pod. Thank you again, good sir, for coming on these and talking about introducing me to movies that I've never seen before. This is absolutely a lot of fun. I look forward to these because all three movies you suggested are ones that I have never seen before or it's been a long time since I've seen them, like... When we did an episode on Poltergeist <laughs> 2, I haven't seen that oh. since we ordered it from pay-per-view. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in 1886. <laughs> oh, oh, you got more? Oh, I think I do, yes. Okay, well, I can't wait to have you back on. Uh, check out all of our past episodes on uh, cinemarecall.net. 
Follow us on the social medias at Cinema underscore Recall on Twitter, Cinema Recall Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, email us, even though no one uses email anymore, Cinema Recall at gmail.com. Anyways, folks, I'm The Vern, and we will see you all again very soon. <laughs>